0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I'm Scott Weiner, the chairman of the committee. To my right is Supervisor Jane Kim, the committee vice chair. Uh, Supervisor Malia Cohen will not be joining us uh, today. And Supervisor Kim, could I have a motion to excuse Supervisor Cohen? Seven. Okay, without objection, Supervisor Cohen is excused. Um, our clerk today is, uh, uh, is Andrea Osbury, and uh, I want to thank SFGTV. For broadcasting today's hearing, specifically Jonathan Gomwalk and Jesse Larson. Madam Clerk, are there any announcements?
1: Yes, please silence all electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of file should be submitted to the Clerk. Items acted upon today will appear on the December 9, 2014 Board Supervised Agenda, unless otherwise stated.
0: Thank you. Uh, and Madam Clerk, will you please call item number one?
1: Yes, item number one is the resolution. a resolution is authorizing nullification of the current four priority conservation areas.
0: Okay, and uh, Supervisor Marr is the author of uh, item number one, and uh, the Planning Department is here for item number one.
2: Good afternoon, Supervisors, Matt Dito, Planning Department staff. The item before you is a resolution authorizing the nullification of the current priority conservation area designations, allowing the Planning Department to study the topic further and to resubmit applications for designation. First, I would like to go over what a Priority Conservation Area, or PCA, is. A PCA is a locally identified location in urgent need of preservation designated by the Association of Bay Area Governments. The purpose of designating priority conservation areas is to protect key natural lands in the San Francisco Bay Area through purchase or conservation easements with willing property owners. Currently, San Francisco has four PCAs, as you can see on the map: Sutro Tower, the Aquavista Vista Twin Peak Site, Palau Phelps Open Space Area and Bayview Radio Property. San Francisco's current PCAs were nominated in 2007 without benefit of public input or consultation from the City of San Francisco. The City has been notified by ABAG that we would need to take action this year if we wish to consider new PCAs in the future. Therefore, in consultation with ABAG, the Planning Department is seeking to nullify the current selection so that we may begin to study the topic further over the course of the next several months. Nullification by board resolution would be needed prior to December 10th. This action would enable the city to nominate appropriate new areas by the spring of 2015. The planning department would commit to work collaboratively with appropriate city bodies to consider the factors that should go into the selection of new PCAs. These factors would then be used to determine whether or not to re-nominate the current selections or select altogether new ones. Since 2007, the city has publicly vetted and adopted new policies and documents that may inform the process, such as general plan updates, Green Connections, and the draft Urban Forest Plan. The benefits of the priority conservation designation revolve around funding. PCAs are eligible for preservation funding administered by the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's competitive one-day area grant. The funds can then be used to improve the areas in a variety of ways, such as the construction of proper trails, improving habitat connectivity with surrounding areas, addressing stormwater issues, or potentially purchasing the lands if they aren't currently owned by the city. The opportunity to select new areas for designation again would allow the planning department to coordinate with other city agencies to determine which factors should go into the selection with the timeline being seen on the screen. PCAs may be chosen due to the land's importance as a natural landscape or agricultural land, its regional recreational significance, or because there's an opportunity for urban greening. This concludes my presentation, and if you have any questions, department staff is available. Thank you.
0: Great, thank you very much. Uh, Supervisor Kim has a question.
3: Thank you for the presentation, and actually, I, I support this uh, resolution. I don't have any issues with it. I was just curious i when I was reading the resolution, what was the background behind how these sites were selected by a bag? Uh,
2: I believe they were nominated by the Native California Plant Society.
3: I see. Okay, and do we ex- um, expect? Uh, with most of the work that's been done that our recommendations will be similar to the ones that were previously recommended.
4: Um, I think we're going to do a a more holistic approach and look to see if there are other properties to include. The existing ones may be included in it but we just want to sort of nullify it so we can start over and have more of a city process. Great. Thank you. Thanks.
0: Great. Uh, so we will now open item number one up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item one? Good
5: afternoon, Supervisors. Eric Brooks. Uh, I'm the uh, Sustainability Chair for the San Francisco Green Party. Uh, just want to caution that's very important. Then when we move forward pieces of legislation like this, that we are not telling Rec and Park and the planning department that they have got carte blanche to cut down large old trees en masse. With the climate crisis, as bad as it is, we need to stop that policy. We can't just keep cutting down large trees like we used to, especially eucalyptus trees which gather in uh, more rapidly and to a greater extent carbon dioxide more than any other tree. Uh, so. You know, I'm not saying which way to vote on this, but I'm saying as we move forward on this, we do not want to allow any more of this clear-cutting of large trees in our park systems. Thanks.
0: Is there any additional public comment on item one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And Supervisor Kim, could I have a motion to forward item one to the full board with positive recommendation?
3: So moved.
0: And without objection, that will be the order. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number two?
1: Item number two is a resolution, approving the grant of an easement for installation of subsurface tiebacks and surface access for a project located at 923 Folsom Street.
0: Okay, and we have the Department of Real Estate.
6: Good afternoon, Uh, Assistant Director of Real Estate Claudia Gorham. Um, This resolution authorizes the grant of an easement for installation of subsurface tiebacks and related surface access to 925 Folsom, which is where fire station number one is located. Um, The adjacent property owner, TUP Folsom LLC, owns three parcels next to the fire station on which it desires to construct a new mixed-use development which includes demolition and excavation of the existing improvements. Um, to prevent cave-in of the soils around the perimeter of the construction pit during excavation, a shoring system is needed. It'll consist of soldier beams and a soil cement wall, which will be built, and then the tie backs will be drilled diagonally through the soil cement wall and anchored into the soils of the city's property. Um, TUP Folsom desires to acquire an easement to place these subsurface tiebacks and uh, related minor surface access on the city's property. A value of the easement is about $1,500. Um, we've also requested, requested $5,100 for reimbursement of reasonable fees in connection with the preparation and uh, review of the easement agreement. <clears throat> planning found the project to be in conformity with the general plan and found it consistent with the eight priority policies of planning code section 101.1. Um, as set forth in their September 24th letter, which is in the resolution packet.
0: Great, thank you, Supervisor Kim.
6: Thank you.
3: Is the project sponsor here as well, or I'm sorry? Is the project sponsor here as well, or just uh, real estate? Yes, the project sponsors here. Okay, great. Actually, you know, I, I, I support this um, easement. Um, it's actually more that I just want to make some feedback and comments, and I'm sure that much of this has already been discussed in the negotiations with the city and the fire department, but I just want to make sure that in the construction of this residential site that we're definitely thinking about sound um, and being right next to the busiest fire station, I think, in the country. Um, we want to make sure that if we have residents moving in there that we're already thinking in advance on how to um, – deal with the the sirens and the noise because the last thing you want to do is place new families seniors residents there and they move in and the first thing they do is email our office the fire department complaining about how incredibly noisy is still there so it's more feedback on on the project in and of itself and so I, I would love to have that conversation with you as this project moves forward but I do support the easement and thank you for your work on it
0: Okay, Um, we will now open item number two up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item two? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And uh, Supervisor Kim, could I have a motion to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation? So moved. Okay, and without objection, that will be the order. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number three?
1: Item number three is an ordinance, submitting the administrative code requirement for the city to provide electric power to departments and new developments. (coughs)
0: I thank you, Uh, and uh, I'm the author of item number three, and I also want to thank my co-author, Supervisor Breed, uh, and I also want to thank uh, both the Sierra Club and the League of Conservation Voters for supporting this legislation. Uh, This legislation provides the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, uh, the power enterprise, with the first right of refusal to provide clean hydroelectric Hetch Hetchy power to new private and public projects in San Francisco legislation uh, provides the PUC with the authority to be the power provider uh, to projects when it makes economic and environmental sense to do so. For nearly a century uh, the Public Utilities Commission has provided clean power and other electric services to various city departments, uh, including Muni, uh, San Francisco International Airport, San Francisco General Hospital, our fire stations, our police stations, City Hall, uh, and other uh, municipal uh, functions. Uh, The power uh, produced uh, by Hetch Hetchy is clean and 100 percent greenhouse gas free. Uh, In an era where climate change is rapidly uh, impacting our planet, We have to do everything we can to mitigate that looming environmental and economic disaster by moving toward a clean energy future. It's not enough to talk about clean energy. We have to walk the walk and this legislation will help us do that. Uh, Many benefits accrue from city provided electric service including local control, lower rates, uh, commitment to local communities, promotion of renewable energy and energy efficiency and greater transparency and accountability. Expanding the power enterprise's retail customer base, uh, and I say retail as opposed to selling, it, selling excess hydropower at wholesale, will also provide much needed revenue uh, for system infrastructure investment. Um, Retail power is sold at 3 to 4 times the price as wholesale, uh, 10 to 19 cents at retail per megawatt uh, versus 3 to 5 cents uh, at wholesale. Uh, The PUC estimates that for every 10 megawatts of new retail customer service uh, it obtains, uh, its net revenue will increase by $4 million annually. In other words, if the PUC Uh, were to take uh, 100 megawatts of hydroelectric power that it is currently selling on the wholesale market and instead sell that energy to retail customers, it would generate net new revenue of $40 million that could be reinvested in the system, uh, including uh, in our streetlight system. Uh, To put that in context. Uh, The Transbay Terminal, which recently entered into an agreement to have the PUC as its future power provider, will purchase just that one agency between four and eight megawatts a year. Um, The San Francisco PUC's power enterprise facilities have significant deferred capital needs, totaling hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, These are at Hetch Hetchy. Uh, in other parts of the system, and then locally and most visibly in our streetlight system. The San Francisco PUC uh, owns uh, more than 20,000 uh, street lights, and those street lights are in a state of disrepair. Uh, they have very significant deferred maintenance. They're not operating uh, properly, and until recently, the PUC was investing a mere $250,000 a year to maintain about 25,000 street lights. Although the agency has recently um, increased that amount, it is still quite inadequate. Uh, And this lack of investment in our streetlight system has very tangible everyday impacts. Uh, But the power enterprise simply lacks the resources and that is frankly because it has been starved of resources because it is not more of a retail provider and this legislation will help it become uh, more of a retail provider. If we want to keep this amazing power asset alive and viable, the SFPUC must have more retail customers. This ordinance would provide the PUC with the first right of refusal uh, to uh, provi- to be the power provider for both public projects and private projects seeking city entitlements. It would not compel the PUC to become the power provider but it would give the PUC the first right of refusal. The ordinance will provide the PUC with the authority to, f- to first conduct a study And then, if appropriate, provide power if it makes economic and environmental sense to do so. This could apply to, say, a sports arena, large developments, housing projects, and so forth. Um, uh, In addition, uh, the energy currently being sold wholesale is used by private power generating entities to augment their greenhouse gas-free energy portfolio. If more hedge -hedge power is used locally uh, for retail customers, then those providers will have to provide, find uh, alternative uh, GHG th- uh, free uh, energy and we will see uh, an increase in incentives in terms of producing uh, that kind of clean energy at a statewide level. Um, and using more clean energy locally will help us meet San Francisco's very aggressive climate change goals. In 2008, the Board of Supervisors adopted a goal for San Francisco to have uh, an electric system that is 100% GHG free by 2030. Um, I think it's important to understand the magnitude of what Hetch Hetchy is and why it's so important. In, an, in just an average water year, and hopefully we'll get back to an average water year soon, Hetch Hetchy produces 1.43 million megawatt hours of clean electricity. Now, we've heard uh, some concerns expressed that this legislation somehow prevents choice, uh, that end users such as uh uh whether it's developers or larger buildings will not be able to choose between uh the PUC or PG and E. Um, but it's important to keep in mind that today uh, there really is no choice uh, for these private uh, um, property owners. They only have one choice, pg We know from experience that the PUC actually provides uh, a less expensive uh, power than pg and uh, in most situations. Uh, in addition, uh, we've heard some concerns about reliability, uh, but there are no actual facts to bear that out. Um, The PUC has been a power provider uh, for more than 100 years for municipal purposes. You don't hear about the lights going out at San Francisco International Airport or San Francisco General Hospital or fire stations or police stations or City Hall or Muni. Muni has many issues, but uh, the power going out is not one of them. Um, And so this is an agency that has provided power, that is the water provider, the sewer provider um, and understands how to operate a reliable utility system. So this legislation will support many goals that we have as a city uh, and it is an important step forward. Um, uh, I will be offering two amendments today at the conclusion of public comment. Um, One is a clarifying amendment offered by the uh, PUC um, uh, which uh, I have copies of here. Um, And then the second uh, is uh, adding language to state that should um, a community choice aggregation program form here in San Francisco, excess power from Hetch Hetchy should be used to support uh, that program. Uh, And so, uh, again, we are not uh, able to dictate to the PUC under the Charter uh, how they are to use and distribute and sell uh, their power. The Charter prohibits us from micromanaging that, prohibits us from stating that, um, that any given uh, customer uh, received preference or preferential treatment. Uh, but we um, are including that language uh, just to make clear what this board has made clear uh, numerous times over that we support the Clean Power uh, SF uh, program. Um, and so I do have copies of those amendments uh, here. Uh, and so um, I also just want to end by uh, thanking Andres Power in my office for his work on this legislation and also PUC staff uh, for working with us. Uh, and so uh, with that, Supervisor Kim, if there are no initial questions or comments, nope. um that I'd like to invite uh, uh, Barbara Hale from the SFPUC uh, to come up and uh, speak to us on behalf of the agency.
7: Thank you, Supervisors. Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. I'm going to elaborate a little bit on the opening remarks, if I may, Supervisor Weiner that, that you made. Um, the SFPUC and the Power Enterprise in particular is the provider of electric services to the city and county facilities and their tenants. Hunters Point Shipyard, Phase 1. And uh, Treasure Island. We're the the little power provider here. We serve about 150 megawatts of load in San Francisco and outside of San Francisco. So inside of San Francisco, those customers are, for example, our wastewater treatment facilities, Muni Railway, uh, City Hall, this building, ferry building, police and fire stations, uh, public schools, the general hospital, Outside of San Francisco, uh, we serve facilities uh, like much of our water facilities, uh, some in Millbrae and the the San Francisco Airport, both in San Mateo County, water facilities in Alameda County, and the towns of Sonol and in Tuolumne County, for example. We provide bundled utilities, electric service, just like PG&E does, and uh, fund and implement energy efficiency projects like improved lighting and heating and ventilation. Facilities in a city in our customer uh, facilities, and distributed energy projects like rooftop solar on Alvarado School or on Chinatown uh, Public Health Center on the Moscone Convention Center. We're building solar on the roof of this building right now. Our electricity is 100% greenhouse gas free, and our rates are less than or equal to the rates PG&E charges the same classes of customers like many other utilities nationwide we rely on infrastructure that's aging and in need of capital improvements our 10-year capital improvement plans indicate we'll be spending 767 million dollars on power facilities over the next 10 years so from now till 2023 those improvements are funded by our revenues from the sale of electricity uh, on an annual basis, we um, bring in about $115 million each year from electricity sales. About 85% of those revenues come from retail customers. About 15% of those revenues come from wholesale customers. So as you indicated, Supervisor Weiner, we do have available power to sell to additional retail customers. For about every 10 megawatts uh, that we sell to retail customers, we can avoid about a penny per kilowatt hour increase in general fund customer rates. So that's one of the benefits we bring to the city is uh, low rates for our general fund departments. Currently, we work with prospective customers to determine if including them in our customer base makes financial sense to us. Uh, We, for example, recently sat down with Trans Bay Transit Center, as you mentioned, Supervisor, They're our our most recent new customer. Uh, We sat down together with them. We ran the numbers and found it mutually agreeable for both of us, uh, the PUC and the Transit Center Authority, to develop our customer utility relationship. Uh, This effort mimics the assessment of feasibility that's described in the proposed legislation in Section 99.2. In section 99.3, the legislation um, identifies the PUC as the electricity provider to all city departments and tenants and to all tenants on city property. Um, That's that's a practice that is currently um, performed by us, admittedly unevenly, and we find uh, this uh, uh, addition to the administrative code helpful. Directing city departments to coordinate with the PUC on electric infrastructure needs should also help us plan more efficiently to serve the Department's needs with affordability and reliability on the forefront. We really see this legislation as one of the tools in our toolbox to help us achieve our uh, ongoing efforts to improve our our Hetch Hetchy system, provide the types of services we've been providing to San Franciscans for decades, and uh, look forward to any comments or, or questions you may have of me. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Ms. Hale. Okay. Um, So at this point, um, I saw that uh, Mr. Johnston from Supervisor Breed's office was here. Mr. True, could you see if... Mr. Johnson, uh, yeah. so as I mentioned, uh, Supervisor Breed is my co-author uh, of legislation, so Connor Johnson from her office is here.
2: Thank you, Chair Weiner, and let me start by thanking you for leading on this issue. I'll be very brief here. This is a very common sense legislation to reaffirm the board and the city's commitment to expanding greenhouse gas-free power and uh, leveraging the amazing resource that we have with the Hetch Hetchy system. Uh, so thank you again, Chair Weiner, and uh, Supervisor Kim. We would ask for your support, too.
0: Uh, thank you very much. Okay, uh, at this point we will open up item number three to public comment. Uh, do we have any public comment cards? Okay, I will call the cards I have. Uh, John Rizzo from the Sierra Club, Ken Cleveland from BOMA, Didi Workman from the Chamber of Commerce, uh, uh, Deep Jawa from the um Conservation Voters, Bruce Wolf from Hank, and Eric Brooks from the Green Party.
8: Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, this is John Rizzo uh, with the Sierra Club. Uh, we are in favor of this uh, legislation, and we uh, thank you for putting it forward. Um, I, I think you mentioned really the reasons in your statement as, as to why we supported reduction of greenhouse gases and and uh, more um, uh, funding for uh, the P- Public Utilities Commission's uh, Energy uh, Department. Um, I can't really comment on the... Um, uh, amendments because we haven't really looked at them but we did they do seem to be in line of what we had we had also asked for um, a uh, uh, the ability of uh, clean power SF should it ever come to be to, uh, to buy power uh, from that. So um, thank you again and uh, we hope the supervisors
0: uh, approve it. Thank you Mr. Rizzo Mr. Cleveland.
9: Good afternoon, supervisors. As you know, I represent the Building Owners and Managers Association, private property owners, and private developers. We understand why you are putting forth this legislation, and there are a lot of good reasons for doing so, but we have some serious heartburn with the mandate. And specifically, you know, we talked about mutual consent. We worked with uh, SFPUC, the Chamber of Commerce, BOMA, and the SFPUC staff sat down and worked out some language uh, which unfortunately you did not accept which said that these agreements would be by mutual consent. And so I don't understand if the city bids out a lot of its services why don't you allow PG&E and the SFPUC to bid for the contract if you will to supply power to these new developments. I don't understand, we don't understand why you feel it's necessary for the city to simply mandate that you will take power from the city if we want if we find this economically to our advantage to do so. So we have some serious problems with this legislation supervisor and uh, we also have problems with the fact that if you're going to go into a a, a building that's say 100,000 square feet and we have a city tenant that's 10,001 square feet that that also allows the SFPUC to do an analysis, and if they think it's economic, they can take over that whole building and supply power to that building. We have real problems with that. Uh, we think, like Barbara Hill mentioned, by mutual consent, by mutual agreement, and I, we don't understand why the city feels it has, it has to take take over this uh, this uh, the situation by. Mandate if you will and mandate that a private developer and a private building owner must take Hetch power we object
0: Thank you, Ms. Workman
10: Good afternoon Supervisors, Didi Workman from the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce. We appreciate the opportunity we were given uh, to meet with the SFPUC staff to discuss the intent of the legislation and the proposed amendments, however, we continue to have concerns over the legislation as it's currently drafted. The Chamber is on record supporting customer choice of electric service providers, however, we oppose laws and policies that compel residents and businesses to receive power only from a municipal source. We recognize that the Raker Act gives the city the right and perhaps obligation to provide electricity to city departments. What we disagree with is that the city may compel tenants on city and private property at the sole discretion of the PUC to buy city power. We believe that utility customers... Uh, whether a tenant on city or private property must be given the right to opt in or out of public power. Using a lease to dictate who to buy electricity from, especially when there is no guarantee that price, service, and reliability will be competitive, is wrong. We continue to urge the PUC to work collaboratively with the private sector on a mutual agreement to enable a power plan that serves both the PUC and the private sector to move forward. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Horkman. Uh, Mr. Jawa.
11: Good afternoon, uh, Supervisor Weiner and Supervisor Kim. Uh, my name is Amandeep Jawa, I'm President of the San Francisco League of Conservation Voters. Uh, I'd like to thank you and Supervisor Breed's office for, uh, for uh, moving this legislation forward. Um, we at the League of Conservation Voters are very excited about this. Um, uh, with all due respect to the speakers before us before me, um, while this seems like a choice of well, if p- private ownership can choose whatever private power source they would like, that none of that is true in the age of global warming, or nor has it ever been true when we discuss matters of the public good and the environment. This is a very, very simple issue of clean power and expanding the role of clean power in San Francisco's uh, power supply, but whether that be commercial or eventually residential. And nothing could be more critical in the era of global warming that we are all part of. So we applaud this measure. We really hope it passes. Uh, We are interested of course, in the uh, issues raised by the Clean Power SF uh, group, uh, we're big fans of Clean Power. But this legislation as stands really does need to move forward and we're uh, thankful that you're bringing it forward. Thanks.
0: Thank you very much. Mr. Wolf.
8: Thank you, Supervisors. Uh, Bruce Wolf, Haight-Ashbury Neighborhood Council, uh, I stand in support with uh, previous speakers who also support this legislation and thank you for introducing it. We think it's uh, a very good and especially needed at this time. Uh, with uh, one of the amendments regarding Clean Power SF, we know it's not implemented yet. We hopefully soon next year it will be implemented. Uh, we feel that the. Um, well, I understand at the beginning of the hearing you stated that we can't micromanage or give direction um, but by stating that the any excess power would go to Clean Power Xf is actually doing that just on the other end of the spectrum. So we would hope that uh, when Clean Power Xf comes online that it would be considered for preferential, uh, given preferential treatment. Um, no, we can't necessarily say that in the language. I think you can, with just a caveat that they can do whatever they want. But we think that at this point, um, the residents, the individual residents, also, ha- there should be some equanimity with them. Thank you.
0: Mr. Brooks.
5: Good afternoon again, Supervisors. Eric Brooks, San Francisco Green Party, uh, local grassroots organization, Our City, and also representing uh, San Francisco Clean Energy Alliance, which is those two groups, uh, Hank, who just spoke, uh, as well as uh, Local Clean Energy Alliance and 350SF. Uh, first of all, uh, to thank both the authors for bringing this legislation forward. This It's absolutely crucial that the SFPC be able to sell this power at retail rates. Uh, and I would uh, uh, respectfully, strongly disagree with uh, BOMA and others who came forward claiming that this is a mandate. We heard from staff and we see in the legislation very clearly that this is not a mandate. This just gives the SFPUC the tools and to use its good judgment to uh, make a deal for uh, uh, local purchasers when it's good for them. And if the if SFPUC decides that in a particular case PG&E is the better service provider, so be it. Uh, this doesn't mandate anything. So, uh, so to get to Clean Power SF, um, it's we've been working with uh, you all and the city attorney and trying to make sure that we have strong language on Clean Power SF in here. Uh, with the uh, two Sundays ago, the announcement about the huge jobs potential of Clean Power SF with what the International Panel on Climate Change has said about global warming. We've got to make sure that this board continues to give very the strongest possible voice to Clean Power SF when it speaks to SFPUC. So we feel that since the city attorney was very clear in putting language in here that makes very clear that the SFPUC has the discretion, we think it's okay to put the word preferentially in there because it's still making clear that the SFPC still gets to decide, uh, just as BOMA should be clear that that's the case. So we would like you to put that work.
0: Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number three? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Supervisor Kim. Um,
3: Thank you. I'm happy to make the motion to move this forward. Um, with positive recommendation and as a committee report. Um, I actually would like to add my name as a sponsor. Um, Reading this ordinance last night, I think that this is the right step moving forward. Um, Having been involved in the negotiations between Transbay Joint Powers Authority and the PUC last year um, where we uh, actually did an open RFP to see who would be the power provider uh, for the new Transbay Terminal opening in a couple of years, Um, the PUC did submit um, the best bid, um, we were able to negotiate um, something um, that I think will be highly beneficial um, both to the PUC and to the terminal um, and for the city at large. And I also represent Treasure Island where currently PUC does provide um, power to our private residents and I know it's one of the few neighborhoods where they do so. And I, I think it's important that we have this flexibility and choice. Um, I, I think it's great for our city um, for us to be able to provide this. Not only does it... Um, give us more leverage in terms of being able to finance our own infrastructure. Um, But I think it's important for our residents and our employers to be able to have um, that type of competition um, available to them. You know, speaking on clean choice aggregation, you know, I think it's been made clear by this board that this is a program that we very strongly support um, and we'd like to see move forward. Um, It's something that voters have said over and over again that they'd like to see as an option, um, even if it's something that they have to pay for because it's the right thing to do um, for our environment and our carbon footprint. Um, But I do want to thank the authors for putting this legislation forward. I'm happy to support more of these types of partnerships and would love to add my name as a co Wasser.
0: Great, thank you, Supervisor Kim. Um, so, the amendments that I've distributed, the two amendments, uh, right. can we take Sorry, those ma'am. without objection? Okay, without objection, the amendments are adopted. Um, so, I want to first of all thank everyone uh, on all sides who came out uh, today, and I thank Supervisor Breed again, also Supervisor Kim for co authoring the legislation. Um, you know, this is, uh, I, I think sometimes people look at legislation like this and think it's going to change everything overnight, and of course, That's not how things work. What this will do is it will give the PUC the tool that it has needed for many, many years to try to increase the number of retail customers it serves so that it can generate more crucial revenue uh, to meet its infrastructure needs. And it is in everyone's interest for the PUC to be able to meet those infrastructure needs, whether it's the up system uh, needs or going all the way down to our streetlight system. That benefits all San Franciscans. Um, I want to um, just address, and I have great respect for both BOMA and for the Chamber of Commerce, and early on sat down uh, with BOMA and then encouraged BOMA to meet with the PUC, which I know happened to discuss what the PUC's uh, uh, plans and expectations are and the PUC has been very clear that they don't, it's not in the PUC's interest to uh, to take on small projects that they're interested in the larger uh, projects It makes more sense economically for the agency and the agency has also uh, committed that it's going to work collaboratively with the community of customers uh, and it's not going to be just a, a dictatorial uh, kind of uh, situation and we know that the PUC has a long history of working collaboratively. But just to be very, very clear, um, uh, we do not have a history of consumer choice uh, in San Francisco when it comes to electricity. Um, So to suggest that it is in any way new uh, for people not to be able to automatically have a choice uh, in electric providers, that... That, that's not new. We have had a history of a, of a monopoly in San Francisco with PG&E on electricity. There are advantages and disadvantages uh, to utility uh, monopolies and it is what it is. Um, but uh, you know, it's not some sort of new thing to say that the PUC will be the power provider and there will be one particular power provider. Uh, and if we want to have a greater conversation with the business community. Um, uh, and and others about choice in in electric providers in San Francisco, that is a conversation uh, we can have. But I don't think you can have that conversation with respect to the PUC, that whenever the PUC might be the provider, you have to have customer choice, but you don't get to have customer choice in other scenarios. And in fact, Clean Power SF, would provide customer choice because people could either stick with Clean Power SF or opt out and stay with PG&E. And there was a lot of rancor and a lot of uh, opposition to the Clean Power SF program uh, despite so many years of work and support from this board and from the mayor's office and from the PUC. And so again if we want to talk about customer choice that is a larger conversation that is a worthwhile one to happen to have when it comes to our electric providers. Um, But right now, what we're trying to do is to make sure that the San Francisco Public Utility Commission Power Enterprise has the retail customer base that it needs uh, to uh, be viable so that the power enterprise itself is viable, that our streetlight system is viable, that the infrastructure uh, is viable. And and I also know, and I I want to really respect that there I can understand uh, when you're talking about switching or potentially going with a power provider that people are not used to going with. Um, that there are questions and concerns and it's, you know, we all want the, pa- the lights to go on when you turn uh, the lights on. Um, but, but the PUC, it's not like this is an unknown quantity. As I said at the beginning, this is an agency, the power enterprise, that has been providing electricity to customers for more than a hundred years. Uh, and when you look at, like I said at the beginning, it's at SFO or San Francisco General or our fire stations or police stations or the Port of San Francisco, um, the power, it works just as well uh, as PG&E, the Transbay Terminal. There is no way, as Supervisor Kim will attest, that the TJPA uh, would have uh, selected uh, the PUC as its power provider if it was not a thousand percent confident that that power was going to be completely reliable. Um, So I understand uh, the the apprehension and the nervousness. I I, I totally get that but I think uh, that it will be borne out that that um, is not uh, how things are going to unfold and we know that from a hundred years of experience. Um, So, uh, again, I want to thank everyone who came out uh, today Uh, and uh, Supervisor uh, Kim has made a motion to forward item three as amended to the full board uh, with positive recommendation and as a committee report and we will take that motion without objection. Thank you. Madam Clerk, can you please call item number four.
1: Item number four is a hearing requesting a municipal transportation agency to report on the state of existing light rail vehicle fleet.
3: Scott,
0: I'm just gonna get hot water. I don't think it's a little a two-minute recess. a little a minute. We're a a very very brief a a Development uh, Committee. Uh, and Madam Clerk, you already called item four, correct? Okay. Um, so uh, uh, item four is a uh, oversight hearing that I called uh, to uh, receive an update from the MTA about the state of our light rail vehicle fleet and the agency's plans. Uh, to make sure that we can maximize the capacity and reliability of that uh, aging and challenging vehicle fleet uh, until we uh, receive uh, our our next generation of light rail vehicles. Um, Recently, the Board of Supervisors um, approved a uh, contract with Siemens, a $1.2 billion purchase contract uh, for new light rail vehicles. Uh, This is very exciting for uh, Muni riders Um, It will uh, improve our system, it will improve the capacity of the system, uh, and eventually uh, we will see uh, twice the number of light rail vehicles that we have uh, today. Uh, And that is incredibly important. Uh, Our light rail vehicles, uh, currently the Breda vehicles, um, are uh, workhorses in our system. Uh, They serve a significant percentage of Muni's ridership, uh, both above ground and in the subway. Uh, uh, it's critical that these lines uh, function. Uh, the current light rail vehicles that we have are the most significant source of unreliability in the Muni system. Uh, these vehicles by Breda uh, have design defects that cause the doors to break down and the propulsion systems uh, to fail. Uh, they, uh, when, they, when they do fail it tends to be pretty spectacular in terms of gumming up uh, the system. Uh, We also don't have nearly enough light rail vehicles. MUNI did not order enough of them uh, 20-some-odd years ago when it placed the order. And because of the lack of reliability and the breakdowns that happen, uh, MUNI has even fewer than that already inadequate number. Uh, Because of the inadequate number of uh, vehicles, we frequently do not have enough service uh, in the system. That's why we have too many one-car trains, uh, because the agency simply doesn't have Uh, enough vehicles. When vehicles break down or are in accidents uh, it is all too frequently the case that Muni does not have a replacement vehicle to come into service and we simply have to wait for that vehicle uh, to be fixed. Uh, The agency uh, to its credit has been focused in recent years on rehabilitating the vehicles and trying to maximize uh, the inadequate number of vehicles we have and we have seen uh, some results I will say, uh, Mr. Haley, that I've seen more two car trains in the subway uh, recently than we had in the past and I and my constituents I know appreciate that a lot. Uh, but this is a very, very challenging fleet. Um, we recently, as I mentioned, entered into the contract with Siemens and that is going to revolutionize our light rail vehicle uh, system. Uh, these vehicles are going to be more reliable, require less maintenance, uh, will easily couple and decouple seamlessly as they exit and enter the uh, subway unlike the current uh, Bredas and we will have other uh, advantages to them as well. Uh, we will ultimately have nearly twice as many as we have today but it is going to take time to roll them out. We will get the first wave of Siemens LRVs in a few years. Uh, which will be used as part of the T-Line Central Subway and then it will be a few years after that until we begin to gradually receive uh, more Siemens vehicles for the remainder of the system. Uh, And so for the next few years we're gonna be operating exclusively uh, with uh, our inadequate uh, Breda fleet. For a few years after that, um, the the non-T-Line portions of the system will continue to operate exclusively with Breda vehicles and then there will be a gradual transition after that. And so we need to make the most of the light rail vehicles that we currently have. We need to make sure that they are bridging the gap and that as we grow as a city, our, that our light rail system is going to be able to grow in capacity and to be reliable uh, for the needs of our riders. Um, and so uh, I would like to invite up uh, John Haley, Director of Operations for Muni, uh, to provide us with an update and with Muni's plan to uh, uh, get us in, in one piece uh, to the Siemens vehicles. Mr. Halley.
12: Thank you, uh, Supervisor Weiner. Supervisor Kim. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, um, again, to have the opportunity to talk about um, what's going on and what we're doing um, in real time, meaning right now to improve the system. I think we're at a pivotal or transition moment because um, part of what you referred to um, over the last uh, couple of years we've made um, a lot with your help and support have made a lot of improvements um, in the service and the core product and I would ask as by way of introduction if you can imagine a little bit what the service would be like if number one we put all the scheduled service on the street Number two, as you referred to, if the uh, performance of the fleet, if we didn't have say 190 service incidents uh, a week that delayed rail service, um, I would ask you to imagine if we did a better job uh, when we do have delays, which we invariably will have with communicating that uh, to our riders and to the public in general. And finally just... um, Also, I would ask you to imagine that um, we're taking um, care and bringing the state of the infrastructure, the track, the signals, and support into a condition where you have a quiet ride, you have less vibration, uh, and have a more comfortable ride than what we do right now. Um, Clearly, we're not there yet, but I would like to um, walk you through Uh, some of the things we're doing because I do believe that we're in the process of both laying the foundation and building on that to get us to the point where we have um, a first class service that um, I think everybody uh, enjoys and is entitled to. Right now, I think the first order of business, where we are, the baseline, I think there's a number of uh, good things going on. Number one, over the last eighteen months to two years we've had as much as seven to eight percent of the service not go out every day we've made significant progress with uh, training of operators putting the scheduled service on the street will have safety and reliable reliability <laughs> benefits um, number two we've made substantial changes to the maintenance programs themselves we've put in place a quality assurance team Um, We're uh, getting, um, finding many more issues with our inspections, completing them faster and looking at our maintenance programs to make sure that the programs we have in place uh, as as both the ridership and the miles go up are those that focus on the right kind of things and and address the kind of maintenance issues you see in a 17-year-old fleet with our kind of usage. Um, communications and delays, we'll talk more about that. That continues to be a sore point for us despite uh, making major progress in, in with uh, the use of social media in the last years. Um, we talked about um, taking a look. These Breda cars will be here and in service for a minimum, best case, six more years, some of them as long as 10 or 11. Um, we. Um, need to continue to make investment and the right things to move them forward. Um, The advancing of the LRV4 project it's a transformational event for the agency. Um, we'll talk in a minute about some of the particulars, but this will really change the face. This is a whole new generation of car uh, from, from a, a performance standpoint as well as a customer amenity standpoint. And one of the things that's interesting to note, um, despite our issues and we continue to work through them, we're enjoying um, unprecedented ridership growth. People continue. Uh, to use the system, and we know, we all know, given uh, with your leadership, what's coming down the road. So we're we're at a point that um, we believe we're beginning to make some progress. But in particular, and more specifically, right now, and to your uh, question, Supervisor Reno, what are we doing right now? What can we do in the short term? And while there's a number of capital improvements, such as a new radio system, that are coming. Um, one of the things we need to do is to um, help our, our workers, help our operators, help our station agents um, deal with delays and better make announcements. Um, we, um, we're, we're in the process now of putting in all vehicles and in station agents booths some uh, standardized uh, messages for when the system is delayed. Uh, if you if you ride the buses you know that uh, on the bus system the stops are called out automatically and there's also announcements. Last week we met with the provider of that technology um, to have it put on the rail system so we can do the same, have the same kind of announcements made in the event there is a delay. Um, we're also looking Um, This this summer we will begin the process to install the new platform signs which will both be highly visible but also will allow us to make better announcements not only on the cars but on the station platforms. The next one is uh, a point that I think is um, time for culture change if you will in terms of helping both our employees and our riders understand the impacts Of holding doors open, kicking doors on the handle of the doors. The doors represent, again, the single biggest source of delays on the cars. And I think we have to help people understand that when they do, when they hold doors open, it has a negative impact in, in a lot of different areas. So what we will be undertaking with is a series of announcements to help people understand that. Um, Frankly, the other thing is our system, we're going to have delays and it's always difficult because if you have a subway delay, it affects five lines. So what we're doing is um, stepping up the uh, troubleshooting skills for our our first responders to incidents, including going back to a a system where our rail inspectors will be um, working with us to move a vehicle to expedite delays. So we're, we're trying to move forward. Uh, in both in reducing delays and when we have them communicating more effectively uh, in terms of the capacity
0: and, and uh, before we leave communications so I um, can you what are you what is the agency doing to try to get operators to be more consistent in terms of communication there are um, uh, ha- there are certainly are operators who do a great job keeping riders updated. There are others who you'll never hear a thing. You could be stuck in the subway for 25 minutes and you'll not hear a word. Um, I know sometimes I've heard operators say that they have a lot of trouble getting information from central control so they don't even know what to say. Um, So can you sort of comment on what the agency is doing to improve that?
12: Uh, yes, what, what we're doing, essentially, number one, in um, your observation is correct, I think that's, um, to describe it in a word, perhaps it's uneven, and some operators do do a terrific job, but we need to give them better tools. So, number one, what we're doing is we will refocus in uh, a special aspect of training and, and then retraining, not just for new operators, on customer service. Not just the making of announcements, but we'll focus on that. secondly, this little card I have, which is um, uh, helps and will be available in three languages for operators to help make delay announcements when we have them, so they have, if you will, a script or some guidance and uh, in, and in, uh, in how they do that, and we'll train uh, not only operators but our station agents and other other frontline employees. so I think that's um, along with some of the, if we can go to um, a similar, first of all the advantage of having uh, a, a, a recorded or push button announcement system on a rail vehicle like we have on the buses, both the call out stops but also to have uh, potentially a series of messages depending on what the cause of the incident is that, that um, if the operators are uncomfortable or aren't confident communicating then they can at least push a button and we can have that pre recorded. It works pretty well on our buses, and there's no reason that we can't do it on the rail side. I think it's some of the things we're doing. The other thing that we're doing is trying to support them um, with the staff that's in the field from the control center to make announcements. The biggest um, technical technology breakthrough and it's, it will come when we have a radio system that allows multiple announcements and multiple people to talk to one another. Right now um, it, it, we rely so much on, on the performance of humans to fill that gap by the limited technology but as I indicated there's things we can do to help them out. We need to do a lot better and we can do them soon. So, Great, thank you. Okay, so with that, um, we then um, I talked about um, the service and capacity and this becomes important and I, I, I think uh, tip my hat to all of you um, both uh, as um, policymakers and as regular riders of the system to suggest something that frankly I'm not sure we would have looked into and I, I think it makes a lot of sense and we're pleased with what we've seen so far. And that is we know, uh, as you pointed out, that we don't have enough cars um, to serve everybody that we'd like to right now. Um, It just, uh, again, uh, for a lot of different reasons, uh, the need to rehabilitate them, the need to do regular maintenance and the fact we're starting with with less than we really should have. So the suggestion to take a look with the one car that we did uh, alternative seating to go something like a longitudinal or a more open aisle. Um, we've got uh, mixed feedback, but um, more positive than negative. And so, what we're going to do is, we're going to do right now, in the next couple of months, 10 more cars that we will um, go from transverse seating to re- reconfigure the interior to go to longitudinal seating to create more standing space. We're also going to focus with the number of operators we've had out over the last several years and um, Some of the problems with the fleet that we're trying to get back in front of Um, One of the things that we want to do is refocus on timeliness and schedule leaving the terminal early So what we are in the process of doing and you see up on the screen? the first one that we've installed is to put at key terminals a time clock that will provide guidance Uh, for everyone in terms of um, departure time. We're also going to look at the schedules constantly. We're reassessing the schedules because the schedules we have now were built with operator constraints and car constraints and don't frequently allow enough turnaround time for the operator to get a break. So we're looking at those schedules. The other thing we're doing that's important both from a service and a safety standpoint, our system has a lot of relief points on the street where it's more efficient to have an operator meet another operator at a a location on both the rail and bus side, but what we want to do is revisit those locations so that every operator that makes relief will be uh, making the relief in a location where there's a a supervisor or a manager that can answer questions for them uh, and, and give them any guidance as to what might be going on in the system. So these are, these are some of the short-term actions that we're taking to deal with the service and capacity issues. You mentioned um, the vehicle um, side of it. We have improved the maintenance program. Um, we are looking at the uh, preventive maintenance schedules in terms of um, making them uh, f- better fit the age and, and uh, mileage of our fleet. We've created a, um, a strong quality assurance unit who reviews inspections. And what I can say in the last two years, we've doubled the number of rail parts that we've consumed and that's because we're really focusing on doing the preventive maintenance. Um, As with, again, with your help and support, we took a look at the work that Breda has done on the overhaul of cars, because again, these cars are gonna need work constantly. Some of them may be here as long as 10 more years. So we need to focus on the key, key systems that are failing uh, and, and some of them like uh, HVAC, which is any, any Muni rider knows that occasionally you get on a car where you're standing there in the middle of the car and you have water drip down onto you. And some of that, the, the cause of that is basically the cooling system, which hasn't been replaced in over 10 years. So that's, that's one of the things that we have to focus on. Um, again, focus on the doors. Finally, on this one, we need to really leverage our newest facility. Um, Muni Metro East on, on 3rd and, and 25th uh, is got the most room, it has got the most potential, and we've started the process to really build that out and make it uh, a full service maintenance facility. Uh, some of what's happened, uh, this is not uh, a reason to um, stop and applaud, but this is a good trend uh, t- typical uh, mean distance between failure it 's a good trend in that um, you 're starting off very low you 're moving in the right direction it 's modest but it 's consistent and we we should begin to we should continue that and and get even better by focusing our maintenance programs on things like doors and steps and propulsion which represent the majority of delays um, uh, again we uh, cannot get the new cars here soon enough, but we still have almost two years. The public uh, is obviously very excited. Um, They realize the potential for the cars we had on our outreach process um, to ask for input on um, three factors. Most importantly, the um, interior configuration. We got over 9,000 responses. We met last week in the preliminary design review with the the technical folks from Siemens. We'll have the design of the car done uh, by the end of the year. Um, Some of the key systems integration issues have been identified and we'll work through them and we want to move forward and and make sure that we stay on schedule to have the first car coming in December of 2016 and really in terms of um, transformation and what it means Uh, Not just new, uh, new is sometimes not better, in this case it's spectacularly better. First, from the standpoint you may recall the way we set the procurement up, um, we looked looked forward, uh, 260 cars, long term contract, um, great communications from the signage, from the announcement standpoint, but most importantly uh, from a performance level, you see, the, the current LRVs versus the proposed Siemens, they're just a um, whole new generation, whole new um, uh, way of doing business, um, great uh, maintenance practices, great savings for the maintenance, reduced time not only of delays, but of doing maintenance because of the, the, the location of the components and the modularity of the newer cars versus the older ones. So we're excited. We feel that... Um, they will, they will really help us meet um, the needs of the future and really begin the process to make us uh, what, what we believe will be the premier uh, light rail system in the U.S. So with that I thank you for your time and happy to answer any questions.
0: Great. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, you know we clearly have a, a a path in terms of the new vehicles that are arriving, uh, and I know that the agency is um, doing more and more to try to keep these vehicles in shape, keep a higher percentage of them in operation, to inc- increase their capacity and reliability and, I, and again, we do we have seen results and sometimes the results are a little up and down. I know earlier in the year it was doing well, then it was not doing well for a while because there were some accidents, and so vehicles. Went out of service and, and now more vehicles have been coming in, so we're seeing more multi-car trains. Um, so I guess the, um, the question is how, um, this all sounds really good, but how can we, uh, avoid slipping? Uh, obviously, you, there's only so much control that the agency has over accidents. You train the operators to drive safely, but even with the, the best driving in the world, there, there are going to be accidents. There are going to sometimes be mechanical problems. Um, and given the very, very small margin of error, the almost non existent margin of error that MTA has with these LRBs, um, h- how, how can you maximize the chances of not slipping back again. And also in the context of growing ridership, we know that Muni, like BART, like Caltrain, like AC Transit, like VTA, is is growing its ridership because our population is growing, more people want to ride uh, transit. And so in two or three years from now, there's gonna be more people trying to get on these trains than there are now. Uh, and without before the Siemens arrive, you can't expand the number of vehicles. So how how how, how should we be thinking about that?
12: Uh, a couple of things. I think on the um, on the vehicle side, how do you keep the car count up and the reliability up? Um, you focus uh, on first of all on the reliability side. You focus number one, you don't uh you look at your maintenance preventive maintenance schedule, which in our case is mileage based uh and as uh, the no, the number of miles are going up is um, ridership goes up and there'll be expected to be more service in the next um, couple of years uh so it's important that the the inspections be done on time that they be done correctly and thoroughly. So it gets really to good supervision or good first level supervision in doing that. That the investments that we make uh, in the Breda fleet on overhauls or components are driven uh, at the components such as doors, propulsion that are failing the most, um, trucks where the, the motors and brakes are, we need to continue to do that and focus those efforts. I think the schedules are um, very important and we need to do more work uh, on, on the schedules because we, we do um, have to schedule to what we have in the capacity and having, the, um, having a full complement of operators where we're putting service on the street gives us a lot more flexibility in that regard, but the scheduling and then the delay recovery strategy, if you will, um, it becomes very important in better supervision. Um, finally, I will say the, one, the other thing we're looking at and have a pilot going on which is critical to us is to follow the city processes sometimes and acquisition of parts can be, um, can be a very long process, especially when you have vehicles like ours where many of the parts are no longer made. Uh, and have to be uh, manufactured or purchased from um, say a supplier that isn't close to San Francisco. So what we've undertaken is a pilot program designed to um, better plan and focus our inventory usage that will also help. So I think I think it's those kinds of things but most importantly I think from our standpoint it's the management and the supervision and the constant attention uh, to um, keeping service out there safely, um, making sure that um, we do our inspections and then uh, organize our workforce so that we get work done in an uh, efficient manner.
0: Okay, Um, and I guess another question is uh, when the first wave of LR of Siemens LRVs arrives in was it 2016 I believe 16th 20, December 2024 or 28 uh, vehicles. There's 24. 24 between 20 starting in December 2016 to 2018. And that and the uh, T Line Central or the Central Subway will come online in 2018. Is that right? 2019. 2019. Okay. And so those vehicles when they arrive will they be they will be they'll be dedicated to the Central Subway or they're going to be in,
12: no, there'll be um, – we, we don't do that in with our rail cars. We operate the system because all of the lines okay. go through the subway. So they will be um, – by the time the central subway opens the car, we will have broken the cars in, if you will. There will be uh, substantial uh, mileage on them uh, by then. So they, will, they could be on any line in the system.
0: Okay, because um, we had – I think at one point uh, we had been told that the first wave would be for the central subway, um, but it sounds like that's not the case.
12: No, it isn't. The central subway, um, Budget will pay for uh, a small okay. subset of the cars, but they're not dedicated to the Central Subway. They'll certainly be used there just like they'll be used on any other okay.
0: line. So once the Central Subway opens, um, the T line Central Subway like every other line will have both Breda's and Siemens on them? That's correct. Okay. And will we see, uh, I imagine that the Breda, can, will the Breda and Siemens trains be able to link together or will there, the vehicles that are multi-car be one or the other?
12: Um, they can uh, mechanically couple so if you have, um, they don't, When as opposed to say train lining which means if it's a two car train um, you see all the power systems, the lights, the announcement through the two cars so um, Siemens and Breda's will not be able to do that. But if there's a, um, if you're, if say a Breda were to break down and a Siemens were Coming up, they have the ability to mechanically couple to tow or push. Okay. So you won't, you won't. In in that sense, you won't see a mixed fleet.
0: Okay. And so it'll be in then in 2017 that we'll probably see the first ones that are actually rolling in service.
12: Uh, yes, it'll be early 2017.
0: Okay. Great. In Thank you.
12: in the spring of 2017, we're due to have uh, three cars. Uh, on the property. So theoretically you could have a three-car train. Okay. Great.
0: Thank you. Supervisor so, Kim, do you have any questions? Okay. Thank you very much, Mr. Hall. welcome. Okay. Is there any public comment on item number four? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Okay. Uh, so, Mr. Hall, I want to thank you and uh, to the agency, I know this is a very challenging uh, aspect of the system, but it's uh, incredibly important. and. We uh, just need to do everything we can to maximize the capacity of these vehicles uh, until the Siemens begin to arrive and ultimately replace the Bredos. Uh So uh, with that, um, could we then uh, continue or uh, uh, actually why don't we have a motion to file item number four? And without objection, uh, we will file item number four. Madam Clerk, can you please call item five?
1: Item number five is an ordinance submitting the planning code to allow height exemptions for hospitals.
0: Okay, and um, this is sponsored by Supervisor uh, Chu. I'd like to add my name as a co-sponsor
4: to item number five, and uh, Aaron Starr from the Planning Department is here. Uh, Thank you, Supervisor Supervisor Wiener. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Aaron Starr, Manager of Legislative Affairs for the Planning Department. The item before you is an ordinance that would amend the planning code uh, to allow more exemptions from the height limit for mechanical equipment on hospitals. The proposed ordinance would apply to hospitals that are legally non-complying structures with regard to height. Hospitals that are legally non-complying structures would be permitted to have to add new mechanical equipment without limitations on the horizontal area as long as the following conditions are met. The new equipment cannot be higher than the highest point of the existing rooftop enclosure. It must have minimal visual impact and maximum architectural integration. It must be necessary for the function of the building and there are no other feasible alternatives. The ordinance also stipulates that any existing rooftop equipment that is out of service or otherwise abandoned must be removed prior to installation of the new rooftop equipment. The proposed amendment was requested by St. Francis Memorial Hospital so that their burn center, which is one of the few critical care burn centers in the Bay Area, could upgrade its treatment facilities and comply with state regulations, as well as medical best practices. Uh, The department thanks Supervisor uh, Chuza for taking up the sponsorship of this important um, commission-initiated ordinance. Uh, This ordinance was heard by the Planning Commission on November 13th and was adopted by unanimous vote. And that concludes my remarks. I'm here for questions. Thanks.
0: Okay. Thank you, Mr. Starr.
4: Uh, Any questions, Supervisor? Okay. Is there any
0: public comment on item five? Seeing none, public comment is closed. And could I have a motion to forward item 5 to the full board as a committee report with positive recommendations? So moved. Okay. And without objection, that will be the order. Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee?
1: There's no further business.
0: Then we are adjourned. Thank you.